You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Thousands of Canucks fans filing into Rogers Arena tonight to mark the end of an era. Paying tribute to Daniel and Henrik Sedin one final time. Good evening and thanks for joining us. A special edition of the News Hour now live in downtown Vancouver where a very special evening is about to unfold. The Canucks playing their last home game of the season and the final home game ever before the tween, uh, Twins' retirement. Squire Barnes is inside Rogers Arena, standing by with a special guest. And Aaron MacArthur is outside with more on the excitement surrounding this amazing game. All right, let's check in with um, Aaron right now for the Sedins and the fans. Aaron, this is going to be an emotional day. Yeah, Chris, an emotional day, an emotional game coming up here. But more than that, an important game, not just for the Sedins, not just for the fans, but for the whole city. The first time in a while a hockey game has meant anything. Change your minds! Change your minds! Help me! Some people haven't quite come to grips with this whole retirement thing yet. But for most fans, arriving early meant a chance to say thank you to the Sedins. Some have only known the Canucks, with 22 and 33 in the lineup. I just wanted to write my, uh, my sincere thanks for um, them being part of my childhood. When the schedule was released, the last home game really was a meaningless affair from two bottom feeders. Since Monday, when the announcement was made, it's the hottest ticket in town. We just got them from some guy over there. It was okay for us to pay, what, $500? Wow. I tried to sell my tickets a couple weeks ago and no one wanted them. And then all of a sudden my schedule changed. I'm coming to the game and people are asking me if I want to sell them. Caught them about three, four weeks ago. Oh, so you got just, in like before that. Just in time, yeah. The game is a bright spot in what has been a dismal season for the Canucks. Bars are expecting a big night. The back 40 bringing in extra staff to deal with the crush. We're definitely expecting our skills to go skyrocketing. It's a pretty big game. The Sedin's last one, the 18 years here. So definitely people are going to be coming to celebrate it and we're ready for it. Vancouver fans have had an odd relationship with the Twins. While they were the team's best players, their jerseys were never the top sellers. But now, with just a few games left, shops only have a few jerseys left too. This is all I have left for Sedin's. Uh, Henrik Daniel... Uh, four sizes, small, medium, large XL. The rest are gone. Yeah. A win would be nice, but this is not really a hockey game. It's an event. A chance for 22 and 33 to show their appreciation to the city and for the city to say thank you. Now, I said in the story that the Sedins were never the hottest seller when it came to jerseys. That was Ryan Kessler, Alex Burrow, Kevin Bieksa, maybe. I tell you, there's still a lot of 22s and 33s that are passing me as everyone's going to the gate. Most people getting to the gate early, a really special night for everyone involved. Chris? All right, thanks, Aaron. Yeah, they were selling more of that Sedin memorabilia just uh, behind me as the game was getting underway. Hockey fans and players are left to wonder what a post-Sedin era is going to be like, but we can all agree that there will never be another pair of players like this. The whole Vegas team is going to come and offer yes. their respect, their congratulations to the two greatest players in Canucks history. You might remember this from Tuesday night. The entire Golden Knights team stayed on the ice at the end of the shootout 
to pay tribute and to thank Henrik and Daniel themselves. Just one example of the respect people have for the Twins both on and off the ice because of how much they give back to the community. Today, while they didn't take part in the morning skate, they did open up a little bit about how they're feeling going into tonight's game. Uh, but I think tonight is going to be it's going to be special for sure. Just uh, driving driving into the game and uh, putting your skates on and doing the last warm up and all those things are going to go through your mind for sure. For us, we're going to try to treat it as a normal game. Uh, I think it's a chance for us to to uh, show them our, our respect too because uh, they've been they've been, I mean we say this a lot but they've been extremely good to us and. Uh, not not maybe only the hockey fans, but just people in Vancouver uh, treating us like normal people. Uh, we try to be normal to them, and, and uh, they uh, they respect us when we're out with our, our, our families. Uh, if it's at the playground or at restaurants, I think they, they're really respectful, and that's something uh, we always appreciate. There might be some sadness, obviously, among fans here, but uh, there's also a lot of gratitude, and you hear it from the Sedins as well. To say this night will be a memorable one is an understatement, and we'll have much more coming up throughout the news hour. But there is a lot more happening today, including a contentious visit from the Prime Minister. And for those stories, we'll throw it back to Andrew, who's on the desk for us tonight. Anne? All right. Thanks so much, Chris. And breaking news now in downtown Vancouver, anti-pipeline demonstrators are gathering right now in an effort to grab the attention of Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, who's in town. Tanya Beja joins us live with more on that. Tanya, what's the message from demonstrators tonight? And the message is simple, and it's one we've heard time and time again. They don't want to see Kinder Morgan's Trans Mountain Pipeline built, expanded here in British Columbia. Now around me about 200, maybe 300 people now marching up to the Sheraton Wall Centre to deliver their message in person to Prime Minister Trudeau. Uh, Justin Trudeau will be attending a Liberal Party fundraiser tonight at the Sheraton Wall Centre and they want to share their concerns with him. A concern centred mainly around the environment. What would happen if there was an oil spill? Concerns that Canada won't meet its climate change commitments if the pipeline is built. Here's more now from one of the organizers of this protest and a response from the Prime Minister. Today, in just a few hours, um, a, a couple thousand people said that they were interested in this event. And so I think that it's really clear that there's a lot of momentum behind this. There's a lot of people that are saying you can't be a climate leader and build pipelines. My point is not that, uh, that Canada is ungovernable. On the contrary, uh, what we can do is we can bring people together to create a plan that is both responsible for the environment and growing the economy and creating uh, prosperity for families while we manage this transition towards a lower carbon economy. Trudeau's fundraiser gets underway in about half an hour after the event tonight. He will head to Alberta tomorrow where he's scheduled to tour the oil sands. And back to you. All right, we'll continue, of course, to follow this story tonight. Thank you, Tanya. Tanya Beja reporting in downtown Vancouver. More tonight on a violent random sexual assault that's prompted a warning from police. It happened in Aldergrove. Police say the woman was grabbed while putting out the garbage Tuesday night and dragged back into her home. Tonight, we're hearing from the victim about those terrifying moments. Here's Jennifer Palma. It's a crime that has left a Langley community shaken. In Aldergrove, north of the Fraser Highway, a woman suffered a severe sexual assault in her own home. Neighbors can't believe it. I was surprised because this neighborhood is so quiet and 
we are only eight here in the, this complex. It's sad that it happened to her. Like, really? Come on now. In the middle of nowhere? On Tuesday, the woman in her 50s was taking out the trash at 9.30 at night. She was grabbed from behind. She was forced back into her residence. And once inside, she was sexually assaulted. The victim is telling her story on social media, explaining why she couldn't give police a suspect description. She says she was strangled until she passed out. Waking up face down in her bed, he punched her in the face when she tried to get a look at him. She goes on to say she wants him caught more than anyone and that she can't close her eyes without fear. She sustained some physical injuries as well. Uh, No broken bones or anything like that, but uh, it will take her some time to heal. Neighbors who didn't want to go on camera told us they were out at the time of the attack but heard nothing. Several stating they're going to change some of their routines. I got kids. We got a daycare next to us. How can, you know, how trusting do you have to be with everybody? We have cameras on our property, but we'll be adding a couple more. And we uh, have alarm, which we don't usually use often, but we'll be using it from now on every night. Police are following up on several tips, but need more information from the public. They're also looking for bed sheets and the women's gray purse with silver trim. As for the victim, she has this message. Please, everyone, use the buddy system. Watch each other's backs and stay safe. Jennifer Palma, Global News. Flames broke out aboard a large yacht in Cole Harbor this morning. The call came in just before 7 a.m. Thankfully, crews managed to knock it down quickly. The 60-foot yacht was docked in front of the Weston Bay shore at the time. There were no injuries, no word yet on how the fire started. An update on that nightmare vacation passengers aboard a Norwegian cruise line experienced on a trip from Miami to L.A. Without prior knowledge, passengers had to endure a retrofit during their vacation. The construction noise and lack of notice prompting a flood of complaints. Originally, the company offered a 25% discount, but now the cruise line is offering a free cruise to be claimed until March 31st, 2023. We are in for a major construction headache in Vancouver, a closure on one of the busiest arteries into and out of the city. As Jill Bennett tells us, East First Avenue will be either fully or partially closed for about 25 blocks. Parts of East First Avenue are congested even during off-peak times. But as of mid-June, a stretch of that road will be shut down to traffic completely. We've done a number of major closures in the city over the past decade. We've closed First Avenue before. It was very functional. It allowed us to do our construction work much faster and effectively. This time, the closure is so Fortis, B.C. can replace the 20-kilometer natural gas line running from Vancouver to Coquitlam. East First Avenue between Clark and Nanaimo will close until the end of August. There will be ongoing closures from Nanaimo to Boundary and other lane closures into Burnaby and Coquitlam as the summer progresses. Uh, We're going to do our best to make sure that we minimize the impacts on them. As we said, the street will be closed in order that we can get the construction done as quickly as possible. And I think, you know, getting it down to two, two, two and a half months versus six months, we think is a big, a big plus. But business owners along the busy route are concerned, many having just heard about the First Avenue closure on Wednesday. I look forward to the summer because that's where my, that's the hot part of my season. And, you know, yeah, it's kind of like I have to rethink some things for sure. And that can mean layoffs. Yeah. That means layoffs, or it means I don't hire summer staff. Obviously, the walk-by will decrease, the traffic will decrease. I think it, it definitely will impact some local businesses in the area. It's going to be just a potential nightmare if something goes sideways. 
but you know, Ford is, is I hope they're going to just do the best job they can. We're going to do the best job that we can to get it out to the, you know, to all the people that we're going to be open for business. During the closure, rush hour parking regulations will be extended on Hastings and Broadway. Drivers will also be discouraged from shortcutting through residential neighborhoods. But with 30,000 cars using East First Avenue every day, it's still unclear exactly where they will all go. Jill Bennett, Global News. Well, road conditions won't be an issue for a new travel service between downtown Vancouver and downtown Seattle, but it won't be cheap. Harbor Air is launching a one-hour Vancouver to Seattle service later this month. Seaplanes will leave Coal Harbor and Seattle's Lake Union twice a day, the airline targeting the tech sector and tourists. The cost? $370 Canadian one way. Let's head back downtown now. And Chris Galas is outside Rogers Arena. And Chris, an emotional night for Canuck fans and players as the Sedins play their last home game before retirement. Hard to believe we're here. It is amazing, isn't it? Tough to say goodbye after 18 years, but uh, we got to do it to the Twins tonight. It's not just difficult for fans. Squire Barnes is inside Rogers Arena with Canuck president Trevor Linden. It's tough for the club, too. <laughs> okay. Ten years ago, this very day, you went through the same thing Daniel and Henrik are going to go through tonight. So tell me, what are they going to go through? Um, I'd like to make a couple things clear, though. Okay. Um, they're leaving because they want to. I, I was leaving because I had to. They but were pushing they, you? Well, no, I, I knew it was time, both physically and mentally. Um, but, yeah, it's amazing. Ten years ago today, uh, where did a decade go? It's amazing. But... Um, uh, you know, for Daniel and Henrik, I'm just so thrilled that they're able to share this last week with our fans, with their family, uh, with the hockey community, because they've been such amazing ambassadors for this team, for this city, for the province of BC, and for the game of hockey. We could talk for hours about the Sedins, but we don't have hours. But I want to ask you this question. What does hockey lose with these two guys retiring? Uh, uh, just the whole package. I mean, you, you don't find many players that... Uh, play the game at such a high level and they had such a unique way of playing the game i mean it was their own uh, unique to themselves really and we'll never see that type of chemistry again although we're not losing them the team is losing them uh, they're still going to be part of our city they made such a great contribution to our city and and so uh, it's a sad day at the same time it's a happy day because at the end of the day this is about uh, spending more time with their families and and that's a good thing Last question, very quick answer. Is it next season we retire the numbers? Uh, well, we're going to talk about it, and we want to do something special for him for sure, and, and it will be an amazing night uh, when that happens. All right, Trevor, thanks. Great, thank you. All right, Trevor Linden, who went through this himself 10 years ago and also played with the Twins. All right, thanks very much, Squire. Great stuff with uh, Trevor. And there is a way for fans to write their messages down to the boys on the memorial wall right behind me here. It'll be digitized, shrunk down, and they'll give it to the Sedin so they can keep a copy of all the messages that people have left for them. Much more to come from down here tonight, including how our sports guy, Barry DeLay, got a glimpse of the special players the Sedins will become long before any of us. But right now, Ann's back to you in the studio. All right. Thanks for that, Chris. A number of Port Coquitlam residents say they're fed up with what's happening to their city. Someone runs in and says that a woman got stabbed. I took a bunch of towels and I run out and she's just sitting there crying. A random stabbing outside the Waves coffee shop on Shaughnessy Street on Saturday is the final straw for many. Witnesses say a woman was drinking tea on a sunny day when she was allegedly attacked by a total stranger. 
Councillor Brad West says petty crime, open drug deals and discarded needles are becoming a reoccurring problem in the city's downtown core. Our downtown is uh, an awesome part of our community. There's a lot of great businesses down there uh, that need our support. And uh, I just the idea that it would be an area that people feel that they have to avoid or can't go down to enjoy is something that really troubles me. If this happens on a bright day, just randomly, what can happen to me one day when I'm just walking from home to work or from work to home? Fort Coquitlam Mayor Greg Morris says statistics prove there hasn't been a spike in crime downtown, but Brad West says the stats likely reflect a lack of reporting caused by the belief that nothing will be done. Hard to believe for a progressive city, but more than 80 years after the first woman was elected mayor in Canada, Vancouver has yet to have its first female mayor. But as Ted Chernecki reports, at least one and possibly two candidates could be lined up to try to change that. Shauna Sylvester for the mayor of Vancouver. She is attempting what no female candidate has done ever in the city of Vancouver, and that is get elected as mayor. Shauna Sylvester officially launched her campaign this morning as an independent. I believe Vancouver needs a mayor who can build bridges across differences, bring people together. That is why I'm running as an independent candidate for mayor. Independent, perhaps, but those who follow municipal affairs see a lot of the vision party in her background. So really this was uh, probably a case of Vision Vancouver having quite a bit of baggage and she deciding that running an independent gave her a better opportunity uh, to potentially win. But historically the odds of a female candidate winning are against her. It's not like others haven't tried. May Brown way back when couldn't do it. Jennifer Clark tried but lost to Larry Campbell. And more recently Suzanne Anton put up a good fight but lost to Gregor Robertson. You don't see any glass ceilings here. I don't see, uh, in Vancouver, I don't, I think Vancouver is, uh, deems itself as a, a fairly sort of center uh, in its, uh, in a centrist in its politics, and, and having a, a woman mayor would be uh, probably very timely. Other cities in the lower mainland, like West Vancouver, has had the likes of Pamela Goldsmith-Jones. Surya's had Diane Watts, and now Linda Hepner. And of course, Delta's Lois Jackson has been in the mayor's chair for almost two decades. I want to be your mayor because I've spent my life working to solve problems. It's what I do. This year's Vancouver municipal race is wide open like seldom before. Could this be the year history is made? Ted Chernecki, Global News. All right, let's go back downtown where the excitement continues to build for a very special night. Chris Galas is outside Rogers Arena. And Chris, a big night for hockey fans in Vancouver and players as well. Yeah, absolutely. And the fans filing by us are very, very excited to be in there. A lot of them got tickets last minute and are are very excited that they're going to be a part of this. So um, the team is doing a lot, obviously, to mark the occasion. A tribute mural has been set up for fans to sign. Highlights of Daniel and Henrik's careers, no doubt, will be shown throughout the evening. It's really going to be uh, a night to remember. Now, I'm uh, in a moment going to bring in Barry DeLay to talk a little bit about uh, about his experience and what he knows about uh, the Sedins and their very early, early promise. Uh, here he is right now, Barry. You've got a rather unique memory of the twins to share with us. 
Yeah, I do, Chris. It happened uh, way back in December of 1996. I was a reporter back in Red Deer, Alberta. They hosted the World Under-17 Hockey Challenge, and the Sedin Twins were front and center for Sweden. And even back then, uh, people were talking about them, saying, "Hey, in uh, 20 or sorry, in 1999, these two are going to be high draft picks." We interviewed them. We interviewed uh, Daniel and Henrik's father, and I have to tell you, they're exactly. Uh, then, like they are now, this quiet, understated superstars. We have some footage of uh, some of the work they were doing in that tournament. Those two combined for 46 points in six games, 26 for Daniel and 20 for Henrik. But the one lasting impression I had was that these kids, uh, I, I couldn't believe how humble they were because, uh, you know, these guys had a lot of uh, press and a lot of attention back in Sweden for uh, for years, really leading up to this moment at 16, and then two years later, wouldn't you know it, drafted uh, two and three by the Canucks, and I really had the pleasure and honor to be around them for, you know, 20 years later, here they are retiring. So they've come full circle as the most understated superstars You're looking in good, hockey. Everybody looking good. <laughs> I'll back up with that fan said too, Barry. Uh, great work, by the way, with the uh, Sedins. You're looking great. And it is amazing that, uh, wow, that greatness was visible very early on in their careers. Uh, Rogers Arena, the lights outside and throughout the city will be shining blue and yellow in tribute for them tonight. Quite the evening to be a part of, uh, and we're very proud to be down here with the News Hour. I'll throw it back to you in the studio for now until we find out the backstory, and it's a great one about how both Sedins and ended up drafted and here in Vancouver. I can't wait to hear that one. Thanks for that, Chris. We'll chat with you a little later. Now we want to take you back to that breaking news in downtown Vancouver this hour. A major pipeline protest is underway. Let's check in with Tanya Beja. Tanya, what's the very latest down there? Well, and there's quite an energized crowd here outside the Sheraton Wall Centre. They just finished marching through downtown. Uh, they're gathered here now to listen to speeches from environmental groups, First Nations communities. I'd say there are about 200, maybe 300 people here. There's also a bit of a police presence, not quite as big as I would have expected, but still, uh, officers here, also a lot of curious onlookers at the hotel wondering what's happening, and what's happening is that uh, the Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau, will be attending a Liberal Party fundraiser here in about 10 minutes' time, so uh, those gathered here outside want to deliver their message directly to the Prime Minister, their message quite simple, they don't want Kinder Morgan's transmountain pipeline expanded here in British Columbia, they're saying the Prime Minister needs to listen to them because uh, this could become an election issue, he has more seats to lose in British Columbia than Alberta, they say, so they want to be taken seriously, again they will be waiting here for the Prime Minister's arrival, and likely here throughout his fundraiser, and back to you. Okay, thanks so much for the update, Tanya Beja reporting in downtown Vancouver. Panic and chaos in Turkey today as a huge fire at an Istanbul hospital forced patients to evacuate. The fire started on the roof and spread down the side of the building, sending a massive black cloud into the sky. Patients were evacuated out windows and on stretchers, and at this point, miraculously, there are no fatalities. 
Police and health officials in southern Alberta are still trying to figure out what killed a baby and sent more than a dozen people from a First Nation to hospital. The four-month-old girl and 14 others were found yesterday on the Stony Nakoda First Nation near Calgary, suffering from flu-like symptoms. All were rushed to hospital, but the baby did not survive. Ten people are still in hospital. It's hoped an autopsy tomorrow on the four-month-old will provide some answers. Two years ago today, Constable Sarah Beckett was killed in the line of duty on Vancouver Island. The West Shore RCMP marking the tragic anniversary by unveiling a wall of honour for its fallen members. It is with conflicting emotions that I mark the official unveiling. It is with a heavy heart that this is needed. Beckett's photo is the first on the wall. The 32-year-old Mountie and mother of two young boys died after her cruiser was struck by a pickup in the early hours of the morning. The driver, Kenneth Jacob Fenton, pleaded guilty to impaired driving causing death and dangerous driving causing death. He was sentenced to four years in prison. Beckett's family and the detachment are still grieving but say this is a chance to give Beckett the honour she deserves. Another high-profile attack tonight on some B.C. fish farms. Some of the province's best-known chefs are calling for an end to one of the most controversial practices. Linda Ellsworth has details and the response from the fish farm industry. The fight against farming Atlantic salmon in open net pens along B.C.'s coast gained the support of the restaurant industry today. More than 50 leading chefs in B.C. have signed an open letter to the government that calls for an end to open net Salmon farms. 20 tenures will be up for renewal in June, and we're here to call on government to not renew those tenures where they do not have the support of the First Nations. Several First Nations along BC's central coast are opposed to the presence of the farms, which they believe spread viruses and lice to wild salmon in their territories. In protest, they occupied two of the farms. For weeks, we took GoPro cameras and we put uh, and we walked these pens. And these are the images they recorded inside the pens. Some of the Atlantic salmon unmistakably deformed and emaciated. The BC Salmon Farmers Association's reaction? I can say that those images don't represent the population of fish that are on the farm. Like any population, and especially farmed animal populations, you have uh, uh, animals that are less than optimal that survive. Open net salmon farmers insist their methods are sustainable. Even so, what the David Suzuki Foundation and BC chefs are calling for isn't an end to the largely Norwegian-owned industry, but to move it on land and out of the marine environment. We keep saying move it on the land, move it on the land. And they're saying no, 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 it's too expensive. As for the request not to renew those 20 tenures, hours after this morning's conference, a provincial advisory council recommended that no tenures be renewed without the agreement of First Nations. The agriculture minister's response, she will consider it. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. Well, we are getting close to puck drop and what promises to be a memorable night at Rogers Arena. Let's throw it back to Chris Galis. And Chris, you spoke with a legendary Canuck earlier in the day about the Sedin's retirement. Yeah, that's right, Anne. I caught up with Yerke Lume, who was taking part in the launch of Daffodil Month this morning. Another former Canuck who's giving back to the community. I know you'll have more on that in just a moment. But I asked Yerke while I had his attention, who has obviously gone through it, about how tough the transition to retirement can be for players. Here's what he said. I guess everybody's a little different, and depending uh, how your career ends and all that, but uh, 
I bet uh, for most of the guys, I think come September, October, when all your buddies are going back to the training camp and the season starting, and uh, and that's when you realize that holy smoke, you know, I'm uh, <laughs> I'm not going back, and uh, this is it. So it's uh, it's going to be different. But uh, again, uh, you know. They have great families and they have each other and, uh, and and so you got some good support around you and uh, it's uh, they should be definitely proud of their careers and uh, and you know hopefully they uh, keep keep staying involved with hockey and with the Canucks and uh, go from there. I have no doubt that they will. Nice to have spoken to Yerke and see that he is settled and happy and giving back to the community as well. He also said, well, he kind of joked. The alumni, the Canucks alumni, is ready to welcome Daniel and Henrik to the team, or Henrik to the team, uh, but they're probably going to make them play on different lines, he joked. So much more to come as well from down here, including Squire, with that fascinating story about how the Canucks managed to draft both of the Sedins and, of course, incredible opening day drama at the Masters. That's all coming up with Squire in a moment. Right now, back to you, Ann. All right, sounds good. Thank you, Chris. And as Chris mentioned, you'll be seeing a lot of yellow this month, all for a very good cause. Take whatever you got. There you go. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. Here, take a dab the deal. Okay, thank you. Appreciate it, too. There he is, Chris and Kasia Badurka. They were in downtown Vancouver this morning helping mark Daffodil Month, the national fundraising campaign for the Canadian Cancer Society. The bright yellow pins symbolizing strength and hope for people fighting the disease. The campaign raised just over $10,000 during this morning's kickoff. Pretty impressive. Let's check in now with Christy Gordon. And seems a little bit more like Vancouver than uh, April. Traditional Vancouver weather, yes, that's for sure. And a busy night downtown with the Sedines, with Chris there. And, of course, with the protests as well. And it is a soaker out there. It has been raining all day long. You saw Chris in the morning with Kasha as well. They had their umbrella or their rain jackets on. Uh, not con- We can't complain because some areas woke up to snow this morning. That photo from Clinton. And we're starting to see some snow on the connector. Five centimeters of snow across most of the mountain passes overnight. But this first system that we're seeing right now really is starting to move on. So overnight, we'll see conditions ease off. We're going to continue with rain, but it will be spottier and lighter through the morning hours. So this is an idea of what it looks like tomorrow morning across the south coast. And then the one little break that you have to look forward to is your Friday afternoon, everyone. I am hoping, keeping my fingers crossed for some breaks of sunshine. Uh, It will be short-lived if you do see it at all, but certainly uh, that is a possibility later on tomorrow with a high of about 11, 12 degrees. Those of you out in the Fraser Valley, though, you continue with a chance of showers. And then guess what? Yes, we're right back into periods of rain. A doozy is set to push on shore overnight while we're sleeping Friday night. Well, it depends on how much, I guess, you're partying on Friday night. But certainly through the day on Saturday, periods of rain and wind expected. But here's the breakdown. This is the Friday that you have to look forward to with just that chance of showers in the morning and breaks of sunshine later on. There's your forecast for tomorrow. Uh, you are expecting wet and windy conditions along the coast. There is a wind warning for the North Coast right now with gusts up to 100 kilometers an hour. Uh, that should ease off later tomorrow. Inland regions, flurries for you, and that's the case across the south. Very light precipitation. The bulk of the moisture really was today, and then you'll see it again on Saturday. Same plan for the south coast. So just a chance of showers, a little bit of a break. Enjoy it while you can, because we're right back into the wet weather on Saturday. And Anne, I'll leave you with this beautiful shot. I thought because of all the rain, I'd give you a, a sunshine shot 
that. Ah. From, uh, just earlier this week, John shot this, and this is at City Hall, looking out through the blossoms. I feel so much more relaxed just looking at that. I know. It's very tranquil. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks so much, Christy. Well, we've all heard of bad driving tests, but how about failing before you leave the parking lot? Watch the top left of your screen. A Connecticut woman failed with a capital F by crashing to the window of the Department of Motor Vehicles. The 46-year-old was backing into a parking spot to get ready for her test. Neither the driver nor the instructor were injured. Two people inside had minor injuries. To make matters worse, she was also given a ticket. Workers at a Florida construction site run for their lives as a huge crane collapses. Crews were building the new home of the St. Petersburg Police Department when the crane toppled. No one was injured, but as you can see, at least one worker escaped death by just a few feet. Well, a man who's watched just about every moment of the Sedin's career joins me now, Squire Barnes with sports. And I got to say, there was only one local athlete, one who could steal a bit of thunder from the Sedins. Henrik and Daniels' thunder was stolen just a bit today by uh, Abbotsford's Adam Hadwin. Three under par, 69 in the first round of the Masters, so he's tied for fourth right now. Last year he was 36 at the Masters. So let's check out Adam Hadwin's day. It was rather impressive. A little bit. On number 12, this putt to take it to three under par. And then on 16, which is a par 3, this also goes down. 3 under par, as we said, and he's tied for 4th. Tiger Woods, bit of a rough day, and actually he kind of saved himself from what could have been an uglier number. He's at plus 1, tied for 29th. The ugly number, though, Sergio Garcia. He's already put 1 in the water on 15, so he has to drop. It's not a horrible shot. It's just in the wrong spot, and the backspin will take it to the creek. Now, that's the second one he's put in the water. He's going to do it three more times. There's three, uh, four. We've got to speed this up, of course. And five. He took a 13 on this hole. A 13. And he kissed all, his chances goodbye? Yes. Preferably without much but he, remem- he, re- uh, he, he reminded everybody of Tin Cup. So. <laughs> yeah. Kevin Costner probably sent him a text. Same hole. This is how you do it, Jordan Speed. Just tremendous. The man who won it in 2015. Wow. It was a veritable aviary as he came down the stretch. Five birdies in a row. 16. Yeah, that's tight enough for a kick in. 17. He actually bogeyed 18. I don't know how he did that, but he has the lead by two shots at minus six. And Tony Finau, the guy who dislocated his ankle yesterday, he actually shot four under, so he's uh, tied for second. Okay, of all the Sedin stories, the best one is still how the Canucks were able to draft both of them. All the moves that had to be made before the 1999 draft. It was incredible. Not only that, they had to convince then-GM Brian Burke to even consider drafting them. Here's the story. The Canucks are very proud to select. We, we went to the draft knowing nothing. For Marshall Spink. We expect to be on different teams. Daniel and Henrik Sedin. Vancouver made it happen, so we're forever grateful. The Sedins are Canucks, not just because of Brian Burke's draft day deal-making. 
They're also in Vancouver because Burke changed his mind about them. Six months before the 1999 draft, he was not a fan. They'd had a poor World Junior that year in Winnipeg. I think they finished second and third in the scoring in the tournament, but they scored a lot of points against, you know, Bulgaria and Panama and, you know, some of the other teams. And against Canada and the U.S., they had a real hard time. So when I left Winnipeg after the World Junior, I said I'm trading the pick. I mean, we lost out to Canada in the quarters and... Semifinals. Semifinals, yes, yeah, sorry. And uh, we didn't really... Uh, maybe produced the way we wanted to in, in, in that game, so uh, that might be why, why he was disappointed. <laughs> but Thomas Gradin, the Canucks Swedish-based scout, would not give up on them. Yeah, I saw them a few times, and the only two players that had the puck the whole game were them. So it was easy to see them because they, they kept the puck in between them for periods of time, like five-minute shifts. He convinced Burke to give them another look at the World Hockey Championships one month before the draft. You could see that crazy thing they do for the first time. And I came back from Norway and said, I, I gotta get them, there's no question about it. Despite a roster that included Messier, Naslin, Mogilny and Bertuzzi, the Canucks finished third worst in the NHL that year, meaning they own the third overall pick in the draft. But Burke needed one more pick. And in the end, that required three trades before the draft began. Trying to get Chicago to make the deal, that took, you know, Bob Murray's a tough man. That took, uh, even though we overpaid, that took um, a, a lot of time. So it started probably three weeks before. At first he was like, no, we'll wait and see what happens. Then, yeah, but it's got to be this. And then it was me trying to get him off Brian McCabe, who I loved as a player, uh, and he wouldn't move. And so finally we made the decision. The toughest trade was getting Tampa to give Vancouver number one overall. The night before the draft, it didn't look good. We talked till late in the night and hung up on each other, cursing and swearing. So I went to bed. I didn't have this deal. And I'm thinking, if I gave up Brian McCabe in a first, and I've got to take one of these other players at four, I just made a horrible mistake. But just before the draft began, Tampa changed its mind. And that's when Brian Burke let his people know the Sedins were guaranteed. And so just before our pick, my role was to, was to put the jersey together. So I went up to Brian and I said, what name? And he said, Sedin. And I said, which one? And he said, both. Well, five minutes before the, it started, uh, Thomas walked up to us and he was yelling from four rows down from the, from the floor, telling us that it was going to happen. So. Uh, I said, just welcome to the team. I think that was... But I'll be saying it in Swedish. <laughs> Which, how would you say it in Swedish? Welcome to Laget. The final deal was so the Canucks could call up the Sedins at the same time, and Atlanta guaranteed they would take Patrick Steffen instead, thus completing one of the greatest displays of deal making in NHL draft history. Amazing wheeling and dealing. It was. You know, the top three Canucks scorers all time, the two Sedins and Marcus Nazan, all three from the same small town in Sweden, Ornskoldsvik. Wow. Something in the water there for sure. <laughs> or the ice. Or the ice. All right. We'll uh, wrap it up in a nice, neat bow, just like the Sedins will later on this evening. But for now, back to you, Anne. All right. Thanks for that, Chris. And we'll go back to Chris Galis at Rogers Arena, where Daniel and Henrik Sedin will take the ice for their very last home game. But first, here's Kasia Badurka with five things to do this weekend. Kasia. 
Yeah, this week we embrace spring off the top. The Tulips of the Valley Festival is on in Chilliwack, where you'll find 20 acres of colorful tulips. This week, the daffodils and the hyacinths should be in full bloom, and the tulips should be ready closer to April 20th. Besides amazing photo ops, you'll find interactive displays, crafts for the kids, and food trucks. It's lively, entertaining, and it'll get your feet tapping. River dance, still kicking after over two decades, is coming to BC. Next week, they'll be in Cranbrook, Kelowna, and Kamloops, charming crowds with their famous energetic Irish dance theatrical show. Another energetic show, Bob's and Lolo. They'll be putting on a family concert Saturday in North Vancouver. The award-winning and Juno-nominated kids entertainers are back with another fun show dedicated to connecting kids with nature. The Greater Victoria Performing Arts Festival is on, a six-week event featuring over 9,000 students of music, dance, and drama. Happening at various venues throughout the region, you're invited to enjoy outstanding performers of the area. Real to Real, the International Film Festival for Youth, kicks off on Sunday and runs until the 14th. In that time, watch inspiring films, take hands-on workshops, and try virtual reality. For more on this, head to globalnews.ca slash five things. This program is brought to you by BCAA. Get a BCAA membership and save with our many partners, plus get the best roadside assistance. Okay, let's throw it back to Chris and Squire, who are outside Rogers Arena as fans and players pay tribute to the Sedins and what promises to be a special night, and we are just minutes away. Yeah, absolutely, and you know, fans have shown and expressed their appreciation en masse here in the plaza. You know the team is going to show its appreciation to the Sedins for what they have contributed. I think gratitude is the overarching emotion for people down here fans and the Sedins just thankful for what's happened over the last 18 years. And the Sedins, you know, what you hear about the Sedins is it, it's not fake. They are gentlemen for superstars. They're extremely humble. And to them, this is, a, this, this is their thank you to the fans. It is. Well, a fond farewell and a thank you to the Sedins from us as their amazing run comes to an end. Here you go. Favorite city moment, Danny's thousand point. It was a great goal. Shoots, deflected, scores! Thousand points for Daniel Sedin! I'm gonna miss the passing that's like right now. Those two guys, they just, they know where it is. is unbelievable. Huh? They're always even keeled, you know, and uh, you know, they don't get too emotional. The team gets low and they're like picking the guys up. They get too high. They're bringing them back down and centering them a little. So yeah, those are the kind of things that uh, you miss on the ice there. They're always together. Like, yeah, they're always side by side. miss the most about these guys how cute they look sitting on the bench side by side <laughs> i really love that once they're gone people will really see the impact that they had not only on the community in the city of vancouver but as well as the rest of the nhl their impact their legacy i think they will go down as two of the greatest connects ever